the steam train. Jump on the steam train. We real estate disruptors. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we have Forrest Blackburn with ForrestBlackburn.com, and he flew in from Temecula, California to talk about how he sold 500-plus properties for nearly $100 million in fees over the last 24 months. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, sales trainer, and every month we help hundreds of people buy more houses at deeper margins. If you want to join us on our training calls, DM me the word sales on Instagram. And I am on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, I assure you, you will become one. And the show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to over 2 million cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in disruptors, and you'll get 10% off. And if you get value today, please tag a friend, tag a friend below. Share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And don't forget, we do have Parting the Disruption tomorrow and Certainty Talks on Friday. This is a live show. Please ask your questions for Forrest to answer. You ready? Let's do it. All right. So first question is, what got you into real estate? Oh, boy. Well, I'm fourth generation real estate. So um, my uh, my dad was a commercial broker. Um, and um, I bought my first house, my first flip when I was 19. Um, prior to that, I was an actor, um, traveling around, doing a lot of theater and doing TV and film and stuff. Um, so I bought that with cash when mm -hmm. I was 19. Um, and I flipped that property and I did a 1031 exchange into uh, a condominium and had that for a while, then sold that, took the cash, put it into a uh, record label and lost it all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is that the reason why you're in Temecula? No. Uh, so I had a marketing company that I started back in 2009 and um, grew that up from seven agents uh, to 1,500 agents nationwide with mm -hmm. 17 franchisees. And um, uh, it, was, it was advertising, sir? Yeah. So it was it was uh, small, small businesses, small mm -hmm. and medium businesses, um, basically doing brand development, um, a lot of local stuff. Um, and we work with some franchises across the country. Um, and uh, I made kind of a uh, I threw it out in the universe one time where I said, gosh, I just wish that I could sit at home and watch all my businesses and watch KPIs from monitors. And I got my wish. Mm -hmm. um, so for about three years, I sat at home and watched all those businesses grow and I got kind of complacent. So I threw my hat back out in the ring and became a consultant working for a lot of Fortune 500s and things. And my background, uh, as it turned out, um, sales is in my blood and um, it probably stems from the whole acting thing and, and entertaining people. Um, and uh, um, uh, I started scaling companies and I went in and worked on their sales and their marketing and getting infrastructure put together for them. And um, I was working and I was so focused on that that I had my, my, my press kits out and everything so people would contact me. And that's when um, I got pulled into real estate um, by getting a phone call from uh, the flipper flop guys from Tarek El Moose's company. So I think, you know, before we get that far ahead, mm -hmm. so let's start, let's just go back a little bit. So 19 bought properties, flipped mm -hmm. them, and then record label, yeah. and then the marketing agency. Yeah, so the record label took off. Um, we did a few records. Then I got picked up and by was, Capital Records. Was there anyone n notable? Um, no, not really. Okay. Not really. Nobody uh, Nobody that ever really got big. We had people on tours and things like that, smaller mm -hmm. tours. Um, but really, it was um, the groundwork to have that revenue coming into the record label so that then I could fund my own projects. Got it. Um, so I recorded my own records, then got picked up by Capital and um, toured around with them and had a lot of fun, so I'm told. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, that was that was a lot of fun. And then we got into some legal issues um, with Capitol Records. A new A&R guy came in. Um, we kind of got shelved. What's A&R? Um, they're basically your manager inside of the, the label. Got so it. they're the people that set you up on tours, set you up on press, press uh, events and things mm-hmm. like that. So we got kind of put on a back burner. Um, so there was lawsuits going on between my entertainment attorneys and, and whatnot. And at the time, Capital said, come in and do some marketing with us. And that's how I got into marketing. Got um, it. And then that I moved over to Paramount so and did marketing So at that there. point, did you have a marketing background? I mean, you had the record label. So you didn't have any marketing experience? School of Hard Knocks. School of Hard Knocks. Okay, that's so it. you started the marketing agency after, like directly after that? Yeah. And you said with the agency, I mean, you're talking like, Facebook marketing or what kind of like marketing were you doing? Yeah, so I was with Paramount and we were losing a lot of our bus stops and billboard uh, uh, things to this new marketing medium called Google. Mm-hmm. And Facebook was just coming out at the time. And yeah. during the band days, um, I was heavy on the MySpace stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, good old, so good old Tom. Good old Tom. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so I, was, I, I learned how to do social outreach and things through MySpace and then got into some, some of the bigger marketing stuff. But as we were losing these accounts to Google, I said, I've got to start looking into this new thing how called are you, SEO. How are you losing to Google? Um, just people were diverting their money mm-hmm. um, into more internet-based marketing campaigns. Got it. And um, so that was something that I earmarked, and I said, I've got to look more into this. And then I got a phone call from the UFC um, out in Vegas, and they needed a music supervisor. So I became the music supervisor for the UFC for about a year, and they put me up in, in a house out there, and that was cool. Um, but I was in charge of all the music for all the fighters um, and all their docu-series and things like that. Yep. And they told me, they said, you know, you can, you can license whatever music that you want for all the different fighters, just make sure it matches their target audience. Huh, interesting. So I said, are you sure you, we don't have any favorites? They said, it's entirely up to you. And I made sure, I asked them probably 10 different times. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went ahead and licensed all my own music. And it was the smartest thing I ever did. Um, it's the only thing that it still makes me money from my music. And every quarter I get a healthy deposit. I've been like over 200 PP, uh, uh, pay-per-view events. And yeah, it's kind of crazy. That's so awesome. then from there, that's when I got into the marketing. I came back from there, moved to Orange County. Um, and uh, I looked for, for a job working with a company that was partnered with Google. And that worked. Found out what not to do. Yeah. Um, and started my own company. So what's not to do? Um, so, you know... Pitching a product that you don't have a plan to fulfill mm-hmm. can get you into some hot water. I mean, that's a lot of information marketing, right? It's oh, like, sure. Let me let me let me see if there's a market for this, and if there is, then I'll fulfill it. Yeah. So right. you're saying that was not the thing to do. Well, you know, if if you're telling small and medium businesses that we're going to have you on the front page of Google within X amount of days, and you don't even have people lined up to do the work to get it done. Uh. Um, you know, I was the director of sales and marketing for that company, or director of sales for that company. Yeah. And, you know, I believed in everything that they told me to sell and pitch. Mm-hmm. So I did all these major tra- training seminars and I had everybody trained in and, um, you know, it built a monster. But then I started looking behind the curtain, realizing that there was no fulfillment that was planning to be had. I mean, the SEO industry is a really interesting industry. Yeah. <laughs> right. It seemed like they told you what you want to hear. Yep. I will get you on the front page or I'll get you number one in Google. Right, which that's an, an impossible feat. Well, right. If you know can't how it works. It. If you know how it works, you can't guarantee it. Right. But that didn't stop the salespeople from promising that. Nope. So nope. Uh, I want to touch on something here, though, because you were very heavily involved in marketing and I learned direct response marketing later on. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think probably around the same time. So direct response marketing, you learn about this and then you see everyone with marketing degrees, it's a very different perspective yeah. on marketing. Oh, sure. So 
you came from the background where you saw billboard marketing, which is the old school marketing, mm-hmm. and then you learned direct response marketing. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really important for everyone that's trying to get wholesale deals right now. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between traditional marketing and direct response marketing? Well, for me, I, I at, at this stage in the game, I still use everything. I mean, I'm I'm we I, I focus on billboards, I focus on TV, I focus on uh, you know postcards and mailers, um, as well as all the digital marketing. So I don't know that there's really necessarily you should pick one or the other. Um, I think that all mediums are really um, a necessity because, um, especially with wholesale. But what if you're a small guy? I mean, you're a small guy. You can't start at billboards. Um, you can't, but you can get creative. There are ways. I've found ways to have TV ads run for six thousand dollars a month in, in mm-hmm. micro micro markets. Okay. Um, and um, those are ad campaigns, and those are audiences and methodologies that the big players, the nationwide players, aren't necessarily looking at. Right. Um, so there's less competition in some of those little things, and you can get into uh, very inexpensive campaigns with some of the cable networks where they can even target per household. Mm-hmm. So you and I live next door to each other. You're crushing it. I'm not. We're watching the same TV show. When it comes commercial time, you're seeing an ad for a BMW dealership. I'm seeing an ad for, uh, you know, sell my house for cash. Right. Right. So um, it, it, at the end of the day, your marketing really has to be focused on your target. Unless you're doing brand development and brand awareness where you want everybody to know who you are. But for me, I just want the person that I'm targeting to think that I am the number one guy. If the next, if the next door neighbor doesn't know who I am, mm-hmm. well, you're not my target, so I don't care. Yeah, so you how know? do you do that? How do you make sure that your target audience is seeing your marketing? Um, well, again, finding out ways to get very, very specific, um, getting data, it's on the data. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those cable companies, they're running your credit when you sign up for internet or for cable, so they know that. Um, they definitely know if you're behind on your bill with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can work out great deals where they can tell you this is these are the markets where we feel these people are distressed. These are the homes. These are the neighborhoods. Um, and through that data, you can skew your entire marketing plan to be mm-hmm. able to target those people. Um, and uh, that's 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 kind of a winning recipe. But right. that's for target marketing, and that's really for getting through to say sellers or or um, or agents even. Um, if you're doing brand development and brand awareness billboards and and all of those things are great to build your brand and build your trust and your credibility all right i think brand building again that kind of goes back to the traditional marketing old school marketing uh but you know like you were doing the agency stuff for small businesses right Mm -hmm. i imagine you were doing were you an seo and ppc or what what was your focus yeah seo ppc i mean we were building websites we did over fifty thousand wordpress websites from 2009 until about 2019 2020 um, and full stack app development. And, you know, we really, I moved away from SEO. SEO, depending on who you talk to, um, can get a, a negative rap, right? Because again, you're pitching pie, kind of a pie in the sky, hopeful idea, and you can't guarantee those things. So it's all based on, on the work you put in um, and you can't necessarily measure the results. Uh, you can't, well, you can't guarantee the results. Right. Everything's measurable. But um, so that's why I started getting into and focusing more on uh, digital assets, websites and, and apps and things like that, a deliverable product mm-hmm. that you can definitely come to a finish line on. So did you say that we can target people that are behind on their cable bills? Yeah. Well, that's a huge nugget. Isn't that kind of cool? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So then you go to you having your agency and then you s- did you shut that down to start working for the Fortune 500 companies? No, I kept the agency going. Um, I brought in a couple of partners to kind of delegate off the workload, um, leveled some people up. Um, I'm big on delegation. Um, and uh, that enabled me to kind of work with some other corporations and some other companies um, and keep myself satisfied and happy. I got complacent over those three years sitting around watching KPIs. Yeah. Um, I mean, I got my wish, 
but I didn't really know what that meant, what that ter- what that equated to. Um, and uh, that's when that's really when um, you know I, I got the phone call to to get to really focus into real estate. Got it. Yeah. So, how did that? change your business once you got that call it's like hey you know get to this flipping this this flipper guy on tv yeah so uh his partner uh pete the best reached out to me uh shout out to pete um amazing guy and um we had about an hour and a half long phone call um pete did most of the talking um and uh you know we kind of came to terms that uh, this was something that that was going to be a good fit and um you know uh i came into the to that corporation, that company, Tarek Buys Houses. And um, it was at that time, they had gone through some ebbs and flows. And it was at a point where the structure needed to be put in place, it needed to be scaled up. And that's really kind of my background is is scaling. Mm -hmm. Once, you know, I I use the term nail it and scale it. It's just because, you know, you can't build on a foundation of sand. You know, you got to have, you know, when you're franchising, you got to have the mothership put together as an as an example, so that then you can go out and create all these perfect prototype when you're nearly perfect prototype. Yeah. Well, I used to be a perfectionist until I realized there's no such thing as perfection. So now I'm a greatest. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But so when was this that you had the that you started working with Tarek? Um, this would have been uh, June, July, June of 2020. Okay. So that's when I started there. I scaled up the sales team. Now that um, was already a big operation. Oh sure. Back then. Oh yeah. No. Um, very very smart people, um, and uh, it was a great platform for me to. You know, it's one thing when you take somebody from, you know, from zero to, to hero. That's a lot of work, mm-hmm. right? But if you can come in with the ground already, you know, with everything already moving and you hit the ground running um, and, and, and grow from there, it's a much easier feat. It's, uh, it's a much more stable foundation to build on. Right. And um, that's what enabled us. Or they and have the cash flow to do things the right way. Well, that's the other thing too, right? Yeah. And that's why you can make big strides and you can have big accomplishments when you're working for large-scale companies. Yeah. If they have the revenue and the cash flow coming in to be able to utilize that, um, then you get into this "I'll try anything" methodology, and that's where you figure out what works and what doesn't work because I've been you're able to of invest that multiple in times it. in my career. <laughs> oh yeah, we have extra capital. Let's go try this. Let's, Let's try, try this. this. Let's try that. Hundred percent. Man, how much money have we burned? A lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Um, but what does that do? It gives us that education. It gives us yeah. that that confidence of knowing what works and what doesn't work. So then we can double down on, on what's really working and invest hard and aggressive. Right. And, you know, we were spending a lot of money. And that's what really um, that's what did it. Marketing is our ask. And if we don't, we, you know, we get what we, we don't get what we don't ask for. Right. So the more we ask, the more we get. So by increasing that marketing budget um, from a confidence standpoint, um, you're able to really kind of scale up your numbers. So what was operation like when you first uh, joined forces with them? Um, it was a small sales team. There was only a couple of sales guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we grew that uh, up to quite a few sales guys and gals. And um, uh, had some dispositions uh, managers that came in. And so how many markets was, was he in at, the, at this time? Um, at that time, I think it was two markets. And then we grew that. Uh, we did the whole nationwide thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and a very you know, popular model, I think, until recently. It, well, you know, it, it's it's popular, you know, everyone's talking about it. Mm-hmm. But what I find is is when you get into you know doing all these you know fifty states and everything, you you create a lot of noise on your calendar, mm-hmm. um, on your day to day. And you know, w- as salespeople, we want to spend as much time as possible to acquire a deal and to dispose of a deal. And I always I use the terminology: the bigger the cookie, the bigger the crumb. 
if you work on a large property, if you work on something that's a multi-million dollar property, the spreads and the and the crumbs that come from that mm-hmm. are more, much more substantial than if you're working on a little shack under a rock somewhere. But funny thing is, is we're all going to put in the same amount of time on each one. Right. Take so the same amount of effort. Yeah. So if you eliminate the noise, mm-hmm. then you can really focus on that. So um, I like to focus on major metros, um, yeah. looking at uh, medium household income, um, um, looking at how many buyers are in the area. Investor Lift's a great source for that, mm-hmm. going into God mode and kind of checking yeah. out what they have there. Um, and uh, that enables you to be more strategic and enables you to spend smart money and not just throw money at it. People ask me, oh, how do, you, how, did you, how do you make all this money in wholesale every month? Well, you spend a lot of money, but you have to be strategic in your yeah. spend. And we were talking about this before we started the show. You can't just throw money at something because somebody said that's what you need to do. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of um, um, students that I work with now um, in, uh, in coaching, and that's really what it comes down to. Everyone says, so if I just increase my budget, I'm good? No way to do it. No, there's, I mean, you can try it, but you, know, you maybe pockets out pretty quick. Yeah. And what are you going to do about lights and brights and payroll? Um, so, um, it's all, it all comes down to being strategic. Yeah. So he was in two markets when you first started working with them mm-hmm. and a handful of salespeople. Mm-hmm. Like when you say handful, you're talking like five or six. When I, when I started, I think we, uh, well, there, there had been some major changes in the corporation and that's really why, um, they were looking outward to try and find somebody to come in. And, mm-hmm. and that's that I, I was the lucky guy. Right. Um, so I think there was two salespeople at the time. Okay. And, um, we, uh, leveled that up to around seven. Okay. So yeah. from two salespeople to seven salespeople. <laughs> Um, and then the marketing, I mean, it's, he's fortunate, right? He's already, he's a, already a well-known brand. And that's what made it. That's, that was the icing on the cake. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, 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 um, he has an amazing brand and, um, you know, he's in everybody's household mm-hmm. in their living room every day, you know, on the show. Mm-hmm. So there's a trust factor there. And, um, um, that enabled us to, to get through and, and get through some doors that, uh, I would imagine it's, it's more difficult for other teams to do. For sure. So then, uh, that's the number of salespeople. How many houses were they buying at that time? Um, they, it was more focused on flipping at the time. Um, mm-hmm. And because of the, the, the fast cash churn um, in wholesale, um, um, I migrated the model. And um, we, uh, to be able to have a big marketing budget, you have to have a fast cash churn. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you know, you're gonna go pockets out. Right, the cash conversion know? cycle is really critical. It's, it's so important. And the way I look at wholesale is, the larger marketing net you can have um, with wholesale, wholesale is if you're doing it right, it's always gonna, the money's gonna come back and you're gonna make money. That's, mm-hmm. that's, not, that's not too hard. But having that big net allows you to trip and fall over your buy and holds and your flips and all of those things because you have such a huge marketing net. Right. Um, and wholesale pays for itself and then you can pick up those flips and, and, and buy and holds as well. Yeah, so, um, so when you first started working there, they're flipping heavy mm-hmm. and then you converted to more wholesaling heavy. Yeah. So it was like a 50-50 or like 80-20? What are we talking about here? Um, you know, it just kind of migrated over. As, as soon as we got into the, the nationwide model, um, obviously that was that was all geared for, for wholesale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for every sh- for, for any shop, um, any, any company that I work with now, um, flipping usually takes place in your home market. Yeah. And your wholesale is going to take place in, everywhere in, else. Yeah, everywhere else, right. So when you're in all 50 states and you're flipping in Southern California, or you're flipping in Arizona, um, um, all your wholesale is everywhere else. So just that dichotomy right there ends up tipping the scale. You get to 50-50, you get to 80-20. Um, and you know, when you can get that cash cycle and when, you can, when you're in markets where you have big spreads, um, it's not really all that difficult to focus on those big spreads and lean into it. Yeah. Um, so wholesale ends up kind of taking over. And wholesale is scalable. 
flipping is, is not necessarily a scalable business. Right. You know, once you get to so many projects and so many contractors and subcontractors, your profit margin ends up inverting and your profits get smaller and smaller. Uh, not so much with wholesale. So what, were, what would you say were some of the biggest, cha biggest challenges going from a flip heavy model to a wholesaling uh, heavy model? Um, it really all comes down to marketing and training, um, hiring, staffing, onboarding, training to handle all of the marketing. You know, when you dial up marketing, you have a, a massive amount of leads coming in mm -hmm. and you have to have p good people to service those good leads. Um, the biggest challenge was moving into, and this, this go, I mean, I work with a lot of students now and they're going through the same thing. Um, they were working with an agency, the agency held all the cards, now they want to do it on their own and have everything in house. And, you know, it's very important for everybody to own their AdWords accounts. Yeah. You know, if an agency owns your AdWord account, um, every amount of money that you're investing into that, to that learning is going to them. It's you not going believe. to you. Yeah. You can, yeah, they've got you. Yeah. They've got you. And um, that's, that is a tough decision to make, yeah. to be able to say, well, this is working, but they hold all the cards. I'm investing into them. It's not investing into myself. Mm -hmm. um, and if that company closes, where are you? Right. You know, you're 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 done. So um, switching over to all of your own tools and toys and your own platforms, um, you know, on day one, there's limitations. There's 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 uh, spending caps. Mm -hmm. um, there's no learning involved. Google doesn't know what you're doing yet on your campaigns. So that ramp up alone is is probably the biggest challenge. Did you guys go cold turkey when you guys switch? Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's gotta be the hardest part. I and that's what I tell everybody. That's yeah. how you have to do it. But for me, I started, I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall that, um, uh, and you know, I'm, I've been so many times on the other side of that phone call. I've been the agency, mm -hmm. but I was always working in other people's accounts and I was yeah. always very transparent. Um, you know, I mean, showing them wins and losses. That's a, what's a, uh, that's a non-negotiable for me, right? Like, hundred percent. If I if I ever hire an agency, like, hey, like it has to be my account because I, if I, I do your account again. Same thing we talked about. Yeah. I can never leave you. And so I, I am literally tied to bound. You. Yeah. 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 So that, you know, that's, that's kind of a, that's kind of a tough thing. So I kind of saw the writing on the wall and started building out some campaigns in the background and doing mm -hmm. some testing. Um, and uh, so when we were ready to make a switch um, and that's what I advise to everybody, start working in the shadows. It's even the same thing with a CRM, right? If you, if you switch your CRM on your sales staff, they have analysis paralysis. Everyone freezes, you have a dip in everything. Yeah. Um, but if you start building out that other CRM in the background mm -hmm. and doing some training on that while they're still using the CRM that they know and love, they start to learn the other CRM and then you have your salespeople asking for that new CRM. Um, and when you can test out other campaigns in the background and you see that they're working, then you're, you're going to migrate away from that agency in a heartbeat because you, now you, you, you're confident in what's working for you and you're investing into yourself. And um, you know, that's, that's what I tell everybody. You have to have it either in-house or it's gotta be in your own accounts. All right, so what were some other uh, challenges you face in switching from flipping heavy to wholesaling heavy? Um, it really, it, learning markets, learning different markets. Um, um, you know, when you're on the phone, when, a, when you have an acquisitions member that's on the phone with a new mar in, a, in a new market with a seller, um, I tell everybody, don't necessarily look at this as, I've got to win this call. Mm -hmm. Look at this as education. Talk to them about the new schools coming up. Talk about the new malls coming up. Talk about what's closing. Talk about sports teams and learn their local culture because the next phone call you have, oh yeah, are you excited about that new school coming up? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard Applebee's closed. Is that still there? You know, and you can really, and they go, man, this guy, this gal, knows they are an area specialist, mm -hmm. you know, and that was, that's always a big challenge. Getting into a new market, it doesn't just come down to marketing, it comes down to training your salespeople to be able to talk the local lingo 
to be able to navigate those deals and really win people's trust and, and um, uh, enable you to give that lower offer and they're not going to balk at it so much as they're going to um, understand where you're coming from. Yeah. So you were saying earlier, like you kind of got complacent in your old marketing agency where you're just looking at KPIs all day. Mm -hmm. But I imagine going to this new role, you're probably looking at your KPIs all day. I'm looking at KPIs all day. Yeah. But the difference between that and, and now is that I wasn't just looking at KPIs and checking in on them and then going and having lunch and, you know, having a second lunch, and <laughs> right? Um, playing with my, with my dogs or, or whatever. Now it's I'm looking at KPIs and then I'm being pulled in a million different directions mm -hmm. at the same time. And that's really where I thrive. Um, I work well under pressure. Um, I think I get that from being a, a procrastinator. Um, you know, that's really when, when I do my best work is when, when uh, I'm kind of put to the fire. Yeah. And um, so when I am overloaded and being over busy, mm -hmm. um, that's kind of a, a winning environment for me. Yeah. So that's why getting into, you know, and, and being kind of a, an overseer or general manager of, of different companies and, and running all the different facets, um, it's fun for me. So what were the major uh, KPIs you were examining when you were working with Tarek? Um, same thing that, that, I, that I look at now um, with Green Elephant, um, with any of my students. Um, it really comes down to conversion cycle. It comes down to lead quality. On the marketing side, you're constantly analyzing you know, what ads are working, what campaigns are working, mm -hmm. what, uh, what descriptions and content is working. Um, and then you're, you're monitoring your salespeople, uh, monitoring their conversion cycle, monitoring their talk time. Um, how many calls per day, how many texts per day, um, you know, setting those benchmarks and having goals for your sales team, having goals for your marketing department um, and holding them to that. So many people say, yeah, I, I want you to make 100 phone calls a day. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Nobody's on them every day. How many phone calls you make today? Right. Or studying the KPIs saying you didn't hit your mark today. Mm -hmm. um, putting people on performance plans after quarterly reviews. Um, that structure. Um, is such a needed thing. And, you know, it's like taking our kids to go bumper bowling, right? When they're, when they're kids, they go bowling, they got the bumpers on both sides. Yeah. We all need structure. People drive better during the week because they wake up at a certain time, drive a certain route, get to work at a certain time, same thing coming home. On the weekends, they drive like idiots because they have no structure. <laughs> you know what I mean? So structure is something that we as human beings need to have. And so often, especially in this industry, I find that everybody's, everybody is a good salesperson. And everybody has enough knowledge about business to be dangerous. But it's very easy to make 50, 60, 80, $100,000 off of one deal. And then you're, you're, you're high on the hog, you're feeling great, you get a new car, you get what a new it? office. Yeah. And you bypass that necessity of having that infrastructure yeah. and having those bumpers for right. everybody. Everything you needed to do to get that. Yeah, not doing to get all you did one. was get lucky, yeah. to be honest. And then, you know, to grow and scale a company, you have to have those that that infrastructure in there, you have to have um, those metrics, those KPIs. Um, and you're holding everybody to those KPIs, hold yourself to those KPIs. And it's not just about your acquisitions team. I mean, I do a lot of training with C level and, and management people too, because, you know, I talk about this a lot, the bottlenecks always at the top, right? right? So, um, you know, ensuring that that the the mission and the culture and the core values is trickling down from the top and is being instilled into the team. And everybody has their own lane, right? Mm -hmm. um, business owners, if you're a partner, sometimes your partner's out golfing, but something has to get done. So you say, okay, I'll do that for you while you're gone. Yeah. But imagine if there was an owner above that and you drop the ball on that task, who do they fire? Do they fire the guy whose task it was or the guy who said, I'll do it for you? Um, so don't paint a target on your back. Stay in your lane and delegate out. If there's something you're weak at, don't try it. 
Don't try it. Just delegate that out to somebody who's better at it. That takes sometimes multiple times uh, to learn. Yeah, multiple stings until you <laughs> until you wake up. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, but so, it's important. Uh, all right, so you're measuring that. Uh, are there any other things? Because I mean, we're talking like these are substantial numbers, right? Five hundred transactions, hundred million. Yeah. Uh, as like, are there like some other things that we haven't talked about? That's like you got to focus on this. Um, you know, it, it depends on. Uh, so yeah, a lot, but. Um, as far as the marketing is concerned, um, I would much prefer, a lot of people talk about, oh, what's your, what's your cost per lead? Is, you know, get a low cost per lead. Um, $5 leads are cheap, crappy leads. They're $5 leads. That's it. Um, I would much prefer to spend $10,000 on a lead if it's gonna close. I would much prefer to have 10 leads for $100,000 a month than a thousand leads for ten thousand dollars a month. I'll close nine out of those ten. I'll close nine out of that thousand. But what I'm doing is I'm burning out my salespeople, um, and uh, it's just a lot of noise again. Yeah. So on the marketing side, it's it's definitely focusing on high quality leads. Um, you know, take care of your people. You know, I'm 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 a married guy. I take care of my wife. She takes care of me. Yeah. Take care of your business. Take care of your staff. They'll take care of you. So what are these calls these guys are responsible for? Because if you're spending money on marketing and you have high quality leads. I imagine a lot of your leads are inbound, mm-hmm. right? A lot of your leads are inbound. It's uh, the the focus on dials is not as much as it is sure. if it's outbound right. marketing. So, what what are the metrics or what are the difference in metrics for an inbound marketing versus an outbound marketing uh, service? So, um, inbound leads are you know they're never going to be one right on top of another unless you're running a commercial right at that time mm-hmm. and every phone on the sales floor lights up, yeah. right? Um, but if you're doing form fills and you're doing PPC, um, you're doing billboards, you're doing some of those things, um, and you have a, a sizable team and everything's set up in a round robin, mm-hmm. um, they're not going to be one lead on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. Right. Um, so that's where I squeeze in all of the cold outreach. That's where I squeeze in the dialer. I squeeze in the texting. I want them sending 500 text messages a day minimum. I want them doing 100 dials a day minimum. Those are goals. Mm-hmm. Um, but if their numbers are there and they're they're crushing it, you know, I'm, I'm not here to say, hey, you're not doing it right. You're making me a lot of money. Yeah. I really want you to spend 100 dials a day. That could knock them off their, off their kilter. And um, setting those goals and making sure that they understand that they, they should not have a thumb to twiddle during the day, ever. Yeah. You got to keep your cinder block on a gas pedal. You got to keep moving. This is an opportunity. This isn't a job. This is an opportunity. You have an opportunity to make a lot of money. I'm spending a lot of money on leads. I've got a lot of money on data. I've got systems and processes that you can utilize to make yourself a lot of money. So don't spend your time talking to everybody at the office. Don't spend too long at lunch. In fact, bring in lunch, Yeah. right? Um, you know, stay motivated and, and stay focused. And hitting all those numbers, making sure that obviously your inbound leads are your gold and you wanna stay on top of that. You know, that's, that's top priority, first yeah. priority. But in between that, if you don't have cold outreach, if you don't have text messaging, if you don't have dialing, um, what are they going to do? They're going to twiddle their thumbs. Maybe they're going to reach back and call some ghosts, but ghosts are good at continuing to be ghosts. So um, always moving forward. Who are you texting along this time? Um, so I, I, I do a lot of SMS outreach to agents, building agent relationships. Um, agents have a great response rate. Um, they'll always get back to you, especially via text and building that relationship with agents. Um, you know, you can, you can grab data and say, Hey, listen, I saw that you have this house pending right now. Do you have any other properties that would fit for me? I've looked for distressed and you really have to work with them and kind of coach them. Otherwise they're just going to send you a link with a ton of, ton of properties. Um, I talked to somebody one time and I used the analogy of, if I tell an agent or a wholesaler, Hey, I'll buy anything that's blue. Mm-hmm. 
they say, okay, great, but what'd you think about that red one and that orange one that I sent you? You're not listening, <laughs> right? So it's really, there's comes down to coaching. But with agents, they'll send you properties. You build a good relationship with a good agent, mm -hmm. you're gonna source a couple properties a month per agent, um, uh, or I'm sorry, per rep with all the agents that they've got outreach with. So doing SMS outreach with agents is good. Also, you can reach out to sellers too. Of course, there's 10 DLC compliance that you've got to make sure you're working with and Batch and Lead Sherpa and some of those are great um, and making sure you stay compliant. But um, um, it just gives an opportunity for people to stay busy and to potentially find more gold nuggets under rocks that don't have the savvy or the wherewithal to go on Google and submit a form. What were the best marketing channels you guys were using at that time? Um, um, I've had a lot of success with, with texting. Um, and, and cold outreach. Mm -hmm. um, in this market right now, or I should say six months ago, um, the, uh, w there's a lot of money-motivated people in PPC. Um, you know, you always, you have your PPC ads that are saying, you know, you have an inherited home that you don't want, or you have a, uh, are you in pre-foreclosure? And those people are gonna gravitate to those search terms that, that sure. fit those. And then you have a landing page that replicates that, extremely important. Mm -hmm. um, I have landing pages for every pain point. If they search for you know, how to sell a pre-foreclosure home, they're gonna find an ad for pre-foreclosure, they're gonna click on that ad, it's gonna take them to a pre-foreclosure landing page. Um, when the, it passes through the CRM, we have their search term in there so that the rep understands they were searching for uh, pre-foreclosure and the rep's gonna pull out the pre-foreclosure intro mm -hmm. in the script. The rest of the script's the same, it's just that intro. Right. We specialize in pre-foreclosure, yeah. right? Uh, we specialize in inherit. We specialize in tired landlords. Um, I love that, right? Because when I was, you know, doing uh, traditional real estate, like, I specialize yeah. in every city. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> every single one. Um, but and, and that's what enables a seller um, to feel comfortable that right. they found the right solution. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why it's important to have those landing pages replicating your 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 ad uh, copy, um, because a lot of these people, again, are not the most savvy people. And if they are looking for a pre-foreclosure ad and it goes to something that's talking about home building, yeah. they're gonna say, oh my gosh, I did the wrong thing and they're gonna click away. Mm -hmm. um, so keeping that cohesion is, is so important to ensure that flow. And then the, the rep is picking up the phone and talking about pre-foreclosure and they go, God, I found my home. I found the people that I wanna work with. Everybody else is too generic. These people specialize in this. Right, yeah, yeah I think the the key here is, uh, I think, what's it called? Like the crumbs, right? The crumbs have to be consistent. Yeah. From page to page to page. Everything. Every, the message, the, the conversation, the words, everything. Yeah. If it's that consistent, if it's that congruent, something in their head goes like, there's something wrong here. 100%. And they freak out. 100%. And yeah. there's so much room for error. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's what it comes down to. I do a lot of split testing. Mm -hmm. You know, never have an ad that's working for you and then say, you know what, I'm going to make some cool changes to that ad. No, 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 duplicate it. Make the changes over there. Don't ruin what you've already got working. Split test everything. The more split testing you can do, um, the, the, the more strategic you're being. In the, well, the, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier though, right? Like the difference between direct response marketing and, and traditional marketing. Traditional yeah. marketing is just like Coke in every commercial, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. Or like product placement. Just throw it out there. Right, yep. that's, that's what you get with a college degree. Yeah. But like real yes. world application of marketing is very different. You have to understand the congruence, the messaging, the mm -hmm. Right. If you have one font and one color on one page and go to the next page, it's a different color that could screw everything up. hundred percent. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that it's, it's extremely important and it's, it's, it's very crucial for the flow of everything. You want to increase your conversions. Those are, those are things that will do it. Yeah. Uh, with the luxury, right. Of having a, a household brand, mm -hmm. uh, were you guys using TV as in like the, like the actual show or you guys were not allowed to do that? Um, so from what I recall, um, 
HGTV allowed us uh, to have uh, the Tarek Buys House's name uh, across the bottom of the screen on the on the TV show. Mm -hmm. So that lended credibility, and we would get a lot of, of, of inbound leads from that. So you guys are probably targeting that keyword very hard. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, and so were a lot of other people, too, by well, the way. Obviously, you know, but so, you guys have to make sure you guys were there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but basically... Having that experience for nearly two years um, with Tark Buys Houses was um, an amazing learning experience mm -hmm. because um, even though I came from, I grew up around real estate and then I got into sales and marketing, um, I found that um, the blueprint that I had for scaling companies with corporate, you know, Fortune 500s and whatnot, even my own company, mm -hmm. um, it just really works in this industry. And um, it works again, in every industry. It does. We but, just don't do it. Right. Yeah, yeah. This industry is is a little um, uh, a little less focused on infrastructure. Well, and I think that one of the reasons why is that because the margins are so large, there's yeah. so much room for error. Yep. Right. You can't screw it up really. I mean, you can today because of how sure. much everyone's leveled up. But yeah. last year, two years ago, different there was ball game. So much room for error. Every, everything's changed so much. I mean, especially recently, yeah. just with with the market and and the the, the shift and everything, to kind of doing a market correction. A lot of people are talking about a market crash. Maybe we'll see. Um, but I definitely think a market correction is is uh, is more the terminology of where we're at right now. Um, over the you know in 2021, um, being able to crush it was a lot easier than being able to crush it in 2022 in today's market, um, uh, big time. Oh, 100 percent. So it's 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 a it's a different dichotomy, and um, um, yeah, it's 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 going to be a little bit more challenging now. You know, everybody was was overpaying for properties in 2021 because they could because they could because everyone's crystal ball said hey next month it'll be worth more and the month after that'll be more so i have no problem paying this amount today mm -hmm. but now everybody's crystal balls are broken and everyone's scared and there's a leveling out that's happening so that increase isn't happening there so um it's just a market correction it's not going to be as easy to acquire properties right now um and that's why you have to have really good salespeople, not order takers mm -hmm. you could get away with order takers in 2021 Yep. You want cheese with that? You want pickles with that? No problem. Yeah. I'll button it up and send you a contract. Now you've got to you, you, you've got to charge them for the pickles and the cheese, and and it's a whole different deal. And yeah. you need really good salespeople, and that's why I don't necessarily hire people that have a real estate background because real estate is something that is easily learned. Um, you can take a course, you can get the three books, you can go mm -hmm. get your license. Um, it's not like getting a license to, you know, practice law or a license to, you know, operate. operate you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, it's not a, uh, a heart surgeon type of thing. Um, so I look for salespeople. If, if, if they can sell knives, if they can sell door to door, mm -hmm. if they can sell solar, um, if they can sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves, you're hired. You know, I will train you on the real estate because those really good salespeople, they can sell anything. You just change the script and you train them on what that script is. You train sales them on the expectations. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think I think that's spot on. And especially you talking about, like, you know, real estate is that uh, we look for, you know, behavior. We're looking for attitude. Yeah. Right. Uh, we can teach the skills. Yep. We can teach the knowledge. Mm -hmm. But you have to have the right behavior. You have to have the right attitudes. Because the, the big thing, too, is, is I've said this before. You can have all the systems and processes you need, but if you don't have culture, if you don't have an ecosystem, mm -hmm. then the people you have um, aren't going to optimize your systems and your processes properly. Yeah. And culture, for me, creating a culture and creating a positive ecosystem where you're giving bonuses, you're giving rewards, you're taking care of your staff, um, that is so crucial. Um, I call it sticky, right? The stickier your company can be where no one will ever want to leave, 
means that you've got long-term players. Long-term players are not so disappointed that they didn't do well this week because they look at it, I've still got the rest of the year to do an amazing job. But those short-term players say, oh, I didn't do well this week. This isn't going to work out. I don't want this. I'm out. Yeah, and it's your fault. (laughs) Of course, always, always. Uh, So, yeah, we got a chance to connect initially at the All-In event. Mm -hmm. You came here with, I think, Robert. Yep. Right? And then we met again. He's a really good friend of mine. Yeah, he's a genius. Yes. And then we got a chance to meet again at Vic's event. Yep. Right. And uh, there, I got a chance to talk about, um, you know, leadership and, and, and culture. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think culture is really important. Thing. Mm-hmm. So, can you expand a little bit more on culture? Well, I was really impressed with everything you said because we're very aligned in, in, in a lot of ways. And uh, I think that's why we get along. The uh, um, creating um, a company culture based on core values. Um, and you know, a lot of people will just go out and look on Google for mission statements and core values and then copy paste that and say, okay, print that, send it out to everybody. You really need to spend some time and look inward on what you want for your company if it's going to be a long-term company. And if it's not, then the bottleneck is you and you need to get out of your own way. Maybe you just need to be a financier of that company and and shut up and stay home. But um, developing that company culture and that ecosystem, taking care of your people, and it's not just in the bonuses or taking them out with party buses and having fun. That's neat. Mm-hmm. But for me, and I think for a lot of people out there, you can always make money at a job. Money puts you know, money in the bank and you can take care of your gas and your bills and your friends. And, um, but if you want to grow in life, it comes down to knowledge and experience. And the more knowledge and the more education that you can give to your employees and to your staff, um, again, the stickier it's going to be because they're saying, man, I'm learning so much. The money's there, but I'm learning. And, if, and even if they have a dip and the money's not there, mm-hmm. they're like, I have learned so much from being here. I want to continue learning, continue growing as a human. Yeah. And that's what enables you to have these long-term players. And when you have long-term players, they're telling their friends and your friend, their friends are coming asking for jobs. They're recruiting for you. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I read somewhere like they come for the money and they stay for the culture. That's it. And um, I, I actually had had a competitor in town, and like, uh, supposedly, you know, is what I heard. They're what they were really good at was taking people to strip clubs and providing, you know, some <laughs> nose powder. I was like, well, that's fascinating. That's one way I, to do it. I don't want to compete against them in no. that arena, right? Like, if that's no. what they, if that attracts you, that, I mean, you'd have a twenty-four hour sales floor. <laughs> well, that tells me that we were not a culture fit. Yeah, <laughs> right? no, I hear you. If you're attracted to that, then this is this is not it. This is not going to work. For yeah. You. Uh, so, um, guys, Forrest is a wealth of information. Please ask some more questions. I only see a handful here so far, but, you know, definitely ask some questions. And before we go into the audience questions, uh, let's do a quick commercial break. His sales training is unbelievable, right? There is other sales training in theory. Going through this stuff with how he breaks down his business is, this is like invaluable. Um, Because there's no other way to get this type of like this type of access with someone who's such an open book about every little thing that is completely applicable to my business. Anyone who wants to bring their business to the next level, anyone who wants to close 30, 40, 50 percent more of the deals. uh, I mean, there's no one who wouldn't benefit from being better at sales. Uh, I mean, anyone in real estate, anyone, I mean, anyone that has a, any entrepreneur that has a business, um, not all the information may be presented to you, but time management, um, knowing how to work with people, having sales skills, because I think we're all in sales and marketing, and it could pertain to anybody, honestly. I would have to say it's asking questions. That's the biggest thing. You don't want to give an answer right away. And if you're able to, uh, 
answer their question with another question. And also that al along the process, it's gonna be very uncomfortable talking to the sellers, asking the questions that you need to and digging for pain, but that's gonna come with experience, so. Um, if you're struggling, I think this is David that you need to come to to make sure that you take your business to the next level. All right. So the first question uh, from Leon on YouTube is what is the one quality that you look for when you're hiring somebody? Team players, um, people that are not so headstrong to say that, you know, I know it all. Um, you should hire me because I'm the best. Obviously, a lot of the, you know, the, the good salespeople, the good closers are going to tell you, oh, I was number one and I'm the best person. And I was in the president's club and, the you know, that's all fine and well. Um, but um, you know, sometimes that best person that you have on your sales floor is also the most toxic. Mm -hmm. And I have sacrificed the one to save the many. Yeah. Um, I call it pissing on the sales floor. And so looking for those team players that want to be leaders, but leaders from within, right? Not necessarily leading from the front, but leading internally yeah. and leading by example and um, that want to grow with the company, that want to prove themselves to be able to level up. Not just somebody who comes in and says, oh, I know you're gonna make me a manager in like two weeks because I'm amazing, <laughs> right? Well, this is the, the, the challenge with salespeople, right? Like sure. a lot of the salespeople tend to be uh, alpha males or females, sure. right? They think they're the boss. Uh, so I've learned quite a bit in the last, you know, 15 years about how to run effective organizations, this and that. But if you were to talk to me 10 years ago, like Steve, what do you look for uh, in, in a salesperson? It's like, well, I'm looking for two qualities. I want someone that's cocky and humble at the same time. Yeah, right? it's hard to find. It's hard that's, to find. That's that's a needle in a haystack, dude. Right, but if they're super confident, they think they're winners, but they're coachable. Yeah, that's who I want. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that's the other thing, coachable. Um, you know, they have to be willing to learn. They have to be willing to. Uh, the, the thing that drives me bananas is when somebody says, well, the way we did it over at the other, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about the way you did it somewhere else because this yeah. is how we do it here. You can always um, go back over there. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that they'll, they'll invite you back, right? Because if they won't, then why are we talking? Um, yeah. But no, that's, it's, it, coachable is, is a big thing. They have to be willing to be molded to, to work within your ecosystem and grow within your company and go to the finish line with you. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the... The arrogance of most salespeople, um, I'm not saying that you don't want anybody without any arrogance, mm -hmm. because I think that there, a little of that is good. It's confidence. But you there's a fine that, line. Well, you need that ego, because you're getting rejected all day. Yeah, that's true. And you, can, and you have to persevere. Yeah. And you can't do that without an ego. That's true. That's true. But yeah, finding that, 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 that perfect blend of, of the ego, of the, the team building, of the uh, wanting, to be, wanting to learn and wanting to grow, those, those are all things that... Uh, are, you know, you throw them into a blender and that's the perfect mix. So how do you identify that, right? You got five candidates, they mm -hmm. apply, mm -hmm. right? They go to your portal and they, mm -hmm. whatever you use. Mm -hmm. How do you identify those qualities and characteristics in your interview process or in your screening process? So um, typically when, I, when I'm onboarding new people or if I'm looking to bring on people, I don't bring on one at a time, I bring on a new class. Mm -hmm. um, that way I can start them all on Monday, I can watch them pace, um, but uh, um, I'll do Zoom interviews with everybody and pre-screen them, and then I'll do an in-office interview. 
and I'll sit down with them and show them the office. And really, for me, I'm I'm uh, I read between the lines on what they're saying. Um, I've I've gotten to be a pretty good judge of of character, and I size people up pretty quickly. Um, and that enables me in business to do you know good relationships and sure. stay away from bad relationships. But um, it really comes down, and I and I follow up on references. Most people don't. Most people say, do you have references? And they go, yeah, I've got all these. And, okay, great, thanks, that's enough. Um, I contact references. I want to know about these people, and I do a little bit of a deep dive. Yeah. Um, I'll research them on LinkedIn. I'll, 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 um, I'll kind of stalk them a little bit to see if they're going to be the right candidate once they've passed all the other tests. Um, but for me, I, you know, I look to see how they are with their family. I look to see where they're at with their finances. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I ask them how many times they've moved around in jobs and you know, what, what made them leave their last position. Because from what you're saying, you're an amazing salesperson, so I believe that you were making really good money. Why aren't you still doing that? Um, and letting them explain it. I, you know, I like to kind of set the noose a little bit. Yeah. And if they can navigate through the questions and they can say all the right things um, without hanging themselves, then you know, they move on to the next step and on to the next level. So, is there any specific questions you like as far as trying to? You're talking about team player. Mm -hmm. Are there any specific questions you're looking for to find that team player uh, characteristic or quality? So, uh, one question that I that that I do ask people is, how can you be a team leader um, and uh, uh, without being a manager? Mm -hmm. Explain that to me. And the way that they go through that, and and I've had people that'll sit there and you know and and not come up with the answer, and that's Mm -hmm. that's pretty much dead zero. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I try to get into their head is, is really what it comes down to. And I'm kind of a wordsmith, so I'll, I'll, I'll ask them pretty poignant questions depending on their resume, depending on, um, you know, kind of what they've told me about their backstory and their, their family life. For me, that's, that's, uh, I like to know their journey. I like to know their story because that's what has made them who they are today. And most people, even if you're dating somebody, you know, they have a false persona for the first few few months, mm-hmm. right? They want to show you who they want you to think that they are. Right. Um, so by learning that backstory and really kind of digging deep into that, you can kind of figure out what's behind the, the veil, you know, and you can kind of get them to open up the kimono a little bit and show you who they really are um, up front as opposed to waiting two or three months down the road yeah. to find out, wow, this guy, this gal is not a good fit, you know. Um, do you use any um, personality profile tools yeah I do Um, I I have everyone run through I forget the name of the test right now Um, but uh, I have everybody run through a personality test and and run through um, just to kind of see where they're at and in uh, where they rank Mm -hmm. Um, and I utilize that but I don't lean on that Um, that's not like a major component for me Um, because I'm creating culture because I'm creating people um, for me personally I don't test well you put a test in front of me and I'm gonna freeze up I just I and I've taken those those tests myself and um, a lot of those questions are are centered around sales and it's interesting in acquisitions because we're not really we're selling an offer Mm -hmm. but it's not like a typical sale it's not a product cycle Mm -mm. Um, there's not a a discount on Thursdays by 20% if you sign up now you know Um, so a lot of those questions it really depends on your mindset on on what you're actually selling and um, you can get some pretty wild and all over the place scores on some of those tests because they're they're more centered on sales right so i really i i need to know more about the people um the people are what i'm going to be working with on a day-to-day basis and that backstory of what what has made them who they are and how they've gotten to where they are that's important to me um it sounds like you're pretty heavily involved in the in the hiring process yeah i'm a control freak yeah okay yeah (laughs) so is that something that you will never let go or like um, you, you love it too much. You enjoy it too much. Or where, where are you on that? 
Uh, that's a love-hate relationship, for sure. Because yeah. there's a lot of work that goes into it. I mean, you're sifting through resumes, you're doing a lot of appointments, you're doing a lot of calls. Um, but for me, um, and building that culture, because that's that's really, that's that's a big, big monument for me is, is culture and ecosystem. Well, that is, I think, one of the most important um, responsibilities yeah. of a business owner, right? And I think one that kind of gets overlooked a lot. Yeah. Uh, but the part about hiring, the only reason I bring this up is like, I've read, I've read other books, I've, I've gone through the process, sure. I understand all these things, and I'm still terrible at it because I think everyone's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're, that, you're, that you're hopeful. I'm very hopeful. Yeah, no, that's hopeful. good. I, I am too, and you know, I know that about myself, and so I, I sometimes have to pump the brakes on that. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, uh, I give everybody too much credit sometimes. That's why I delegate that. That's and that's, yeah. That. So, you know, there's, there's, uh, because I'm aware of that, um, it, it enables me to, to be able to pump the brakes on that and look at things a little bit more objectively. That's why I do call on resources. Yeah. You know, I, I call on the references rather, um, and, and get other people's opinions. Um, but for me, it's, it's, uh, it's, I don't know that I'll ever stop being involved in that process in one facet or another, um, because it's, I look at it as it's my team. Yeah. And if it's going to be my team, then that means they're an extension of me. And if I can't pour myself into somebody or into all of those somebodies, mm -hmm. then that's a broken team. And if I have a broken team, then I'm broken. Yeah, no, I, I totally respect that. Uh, Stephen Collier wants to know, with this market, how would you break down and allocate your marketing budget right now? Well, PPC is always, that's a good question. Uh, PPC is always going to be something that, that, that holds true. Um, we're coming up on elections right now. So Facebook is going to be increasingly difficult uh, as people run their, their marketing, um, getting in front of people on Facebook with these huge marketing spends that some of these politicians are going to be doing. Um, but Facebook is great for retargeting, um, you know, with pixel codes and everything. But PPC is always going to be your constant. Um, I also uh, am a firm believer in television and radio. Um, some of the greatest leads that I've had came from TV until I started running radio. And the leads in radio, uh, to me, and you know, it, it depends on the market that you're in, right? Because um, in Southern California, there's a lot of windshield time. There's a lot of traffic. So if you can air those radio commercials at the right time, then you can get those phone calls and you can get those things going. You gotta repeat your phone number enough times, right? Um, I mean, that makes total sense because they're just staring at that tailgate in front 100%. Yeah, and then it cuts to a commercial break, um, you know, and, and you can pick up some of those ads in some of these micro markets and some of these secondary and tertiary markets that um, are very cost, cost friendly. Mm -hmm. And the return on, and we all know this, like the amount of money that you can make off of just one deal will more than pay for a small test on, on marketing. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say try everything, test everything. Um, I, I do, I also, I create testing marketing budgets by having teams focus on bringing in at least one outbound deal. Yeah. If an acquisitions member is working on bringing in at least one outbound deal, that's money you never would have had. And again, we go back to how important data is. The entire time that they're sowing those seeds on, on bringing in those outbound deals, you're getting all of this data into your CRM for lead nurturing, for direct mail campaigns, et cetera. Uh, and um, um, you get that outbound deal, maybe pay your rep a little bit more because it's money you never would have had. Mm -hmm. Maybe pay them 25% on that deal. That's 75% that you never would have had there's your marketing budget. There's your test marketing budget. Go test some things out. Go try radio in a certain market. Go try billboards. Go try television. Um, you know, you can go to some of these cable companies and they have local programs that are very affordable. And again, they can target by household. Yeah. Um, and, you know, radio's good. Some of the streaming radio and Sirius and things like that, I haven't had um, as much success in uh, as, as just, you know, traditional radio channels. Have um, you tried YouTube TV? 
or or Hulu and on those other. I have the streaming the streaming stuff. Um, I have, um, and uh, I didn't have as, as good attraction as having them on the major networks during, yeah. you know, Gossip Hour and Judge Judy and, and all that stuff. Yeah, because I, I know a friend that's had success with it not as much recently, and I was curious about it because it seems like that would be a younger audience. Yeah, and our avatar tends to be older. Yeah, um, it's so, true. Uh, Don Yehuda on YouTube. When developing landing pages, what would be some of the best uh, step by step? Uh, best way to go about it step by step. Um, again, back to uh, having your PPC and, and your campaigns replicate um, what uh, um, your landing page has to be cohesive with your with your ad copy. Um, you can use things like Unbounce uh, to build out landing pages. Mm -hmm. um, having that stepped process, um, I know like the the landing pages that we all use with InvestorLift. You know, they, they come in, they build an address, they put in the address, goes to the next step. They put in their contact information, takes them to many more steps that gives conditional questions about the home. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that's too long-winded and people will just opt out. They don't have the time or they need to come back to it. Um, but having that step process in there gives your uh, acquisitions rep more information to take on the call. But you, you have your landing pages send two different sends. So it's going to send you the information on their address and their contact information. That's a full send. Mm -hmm. You're going to get that right away. All the other information that they're going to fill in and all the other steps, you know, steps three, four, five, six, whatever, um, that'll come again on another send. Mm -hmm. And you have that information. That way, if they fall off, you still have all that information in there. So having that stepped process built out, having uh, a lot of information in there, because it's not just for the acquisitions rep. Um, it's, it's also so important because it's getting them in the mindset of thinking about their house. So that when the rep is on the phone with them, they're not catching them off guard with these questions. Yeah. When you ask questions like, have you replaced your roof in the last 10 to 15 years? No, I haven't. Ooh, that's probably gonna be a problem. Mm -hmm. You're right. But now they go into the call knowing yeah, all right, I know you're gonna ask me about this. Um, we haven't ever, we've been here for 30 years, we've never done anything with our roof. Does that mean we're gonna get a lower price? Probably, uh, okay. Yeah. But they're prepped for that. Yeah. So going through in some of these things, does it have a pool? Does it function? Does the pool equipment work? These are all things that they're thinking, oh, I've got a house with a pool, it's gonna sell for a lot. But you ask those questions in the fill form, and when you get to them on the phone, they're already prepped for the fact that that's a negative. Right, and you know, again, for um, Don, like we're talking about this is the, sales page that comes with investor lift um i think one of the other things too is the the psychological component is that when if, if they go to page two page three page four mm -hmm. what they're not doing is going to someone else's page that's a big one giving your sales rep more time to that's call that's a big one basically it slaps blinders on them right like a horse with blinders right, right. they're just so focused on on uh on what you're doing and also they're investing time into your potential conversation and they're taking that time and, and anytime you can take somebody's time, um, you're gonna make a larger impression on them with that step process than somebody who just says, give me your name, your your email address, your address and your phone and we'll yeah. call you. I mean, that's the same mindset, right? Like why well, you can't leave a bad movie. Like I've already invested so much time into this, I have I'm, to. I've gotta see if it gets better. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait it out. Yeah. But no, that's, that's the big thing. And uh, it, it's taking that, it, them taking that time and that equates to your first phone call. You know, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression, but we're also never guaranteed on a second chance. Mm -hmm. So taking the time on that initial phone call, and you know, I tell everybody, have a long call. You know, uh, you know, reps that are doing hour-long phone calls have the highest conversion rate, and they're talking a lot, they're educating a lot. Mm -hmm. The seller is getting to hear because at the end of the day, they're talking to a lot of different companies. So in a way, this is kind of an audition. 
they're auditioning who they want to work with on this property, mm -hmm. even though they're selling their house. Yeah. You know, we have to show them that we're credible, we're educated, we're experienced, we're knowledgeable. So having that long call, talking, educating them on the market, educating them on the different solutions that you provide within your company, they get to hear how you think, the how your brain works, and that just builds trust and credibility. So when you come in with your offer, it may not be the best offer in the world that they're looking for, but now they're going to listen to it. It's like somebody telling you a joke and they forget the whole joke, but they remember the punchline. Right. Well, the punchline's not very funny. I don't like it because you told the joke horribly. So you got to have take the time and tell the joke right. Mm -hmm. So when you come in with that punchline, that offer, it's credible and they enjoy it. They get it. They understand. And um, it's not uh, they're not hanging up the phone on you. Uh, on YouTube, Jose Alessandro, what is an indicator that you should start delegating acquisitions in your company? You start delegating what? Acquisitions, hiring or I'm sorry, sales. Um, so businesses have ebbs and flows, right? Um, and it really comes down to, um, a lot of people, I'll back up. A lot of people will say, you know what? I'm going to go get an office for 40 seats and then I'm going to start staffing and, and from one to 40 and I'm going to get, it's going to be great. And I'm going to throw a bunch of money at PPC and, um, level up when your business is begging you to level up. Level up when you are at a point and you're at an inertia within your own lane. And again, don't step out of your lane, right? And a lot of us, uh, you know, as business owners or as managers, um, you know, we want to control everything. We want to stay on top of everything. But, and that's all fine and well, but don't work on things that you're not super strong at. There's only, we're, as humans, there's only 100% of us. We're 100%. Okay. You, you'll never be able to put 100% into two things. You're going to put 50% into two things. So make sure you stay in your lane. Um, and, delegate out when you feel like you're starting to only give 80% to your main focus. That's when you need to make sure you're giving 100%, delegate off and, right. and hire good people and make sure that these people aren't just good within their own right, but make sure that you can um, clone yourself into them. Because if, 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 if you can't get them to follow the leader and be in a good ecosystem and have core values and, and be somebody that you know, you would want to go out, you want to go on vacation with that person mm -hmm. because that's, that's how cool they are and how well you get along with them. Um, you know, that, that's when you know that you've hired the right person and it's the right time when you absolutely need it. So don't just say, I'm going to go out and start up a hundred man office tomorrow. Yeah. You know, have 40 reps if that's the case and then get an office for 50 reps and add 10 more. And you know, it just, as it grows, as your business demands, supply and demand, as the business demands, yeah. that's when you level up. I remember I was uh, coaching someone and they're like, well, you know, I'm good now. Like, I'm ready to move on. It's like, really? They're like, yeah. I mean, all I need to do now is just hire a lead manager, a couple of sales managers, and you know, just beef up marketing. It's like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, that's it. Just sure. They just just spend yeah. more. Money. Sure. Just hire. Just open people. up your wallet and hold it out the window. <laughs> yeah, you for know? sure. That's all you need. Like, there's yeah. no more challenges after this. Yeah. Right. Um. So, uh, Marcos Matos uh, wants to know, what does the onboarding look like at your company? So. Um, Everybody that I work with, um, I have the same kind of onboarding uh, methodology. And um, it's obviously we go through the, the hiring process. Um, I use things like Indeed and ZipRecruiter. Um, and I go through a lot of resumes and I set up a lot of appointments and do a lot of Zoom calls. Um, I keep the Zoom calls short and sweet. I want the, to hear that kind of high level. And then I'll bring them in for an in-office interview. Um, show them the office, watch body language and see how things go. But again, I start a whole new class. I never just start... Tom on Monday and Sarah on Wednesday and Billy on Thursday. Everybody starts on Monday and um, building an onboarding. The biggest thing is we, we, we need to tell them the core values. We need to tell them the mission statements. We need to tell them how to say what we want them to say. 
But if you don't have that pre-recorded, if you don't have them into an onboarding system, then you're just repeating yourself all the mm -hmm. time. So record yourself doing these videos and get that into an onboarding platform. For me, on Mondays, I'll see you at lunch and I'll see you when it's over. Um, Monday, they come in, they put a head, headset on, they're watching videos, and it's a lot of videos. And they go through all the videos and all the video training, and they've got access to scripts. They can look at those and print those out. Tuesday, and they're going through recorded phone calls, and they're doing a lot of scripting. Um, again, this is all on the computer, headphones on, head down. You're gonna, you, this is going to be a, a, a lot of knowledge thrown mm -hmm. your way. Probably too much, yeah. but that's what I do on the first week. Everything's too much mm -hmm. because I'm setting a pace. It's like being on a phone call with somebody. There's only two people on the phone. If you don't control the temperature, if you don't control the tempo, you're leaving it up to them. Right. So if you want it to go fast, you're gonna have to talk a little bit faster. You're gonna have to speed things up to get them to do that. So it's the same thing with bringing on you know, new people. Monday, Tuesday, head down, headphones on, they're listening, they're reading, they're watching. On Wednesday, I do a group training where we're going over objections and rebuttals, um, doing a lot of role play, a lot of script work. Um, and then Wednesday afternoon, they're out shadowing people watching how, not necessarily how they're going about their scripting, but really how they're, mon they're going through the systems and the processes, which they were also learning on video learning on Mondays and Tuesdays. Yeah. How to manipulate the CRM, how to use, say, PropStream and things like that. Um, the, the, the SMS platforms and the dialing platforms. And um, uh, so then Wednesday afternoon, they're shadowing how existing reps are putting that together. Um, and then Thursday, I throw them in the deep end of the pool and put them on a dialer. Nice. And on Thursday and Friday, they don't pull their finger off the trigger and it is back to back to back to back phone calls because at the end of the day, this is a numbers game and you need to, to disqualify these people quickly. Hi, you know, I was driving down your street the other day. I work for an investor and I saw your house. It fits the buy box perfectly. Have you been considering selling? Are you open minded uh, to, to hearing about a cash offer on your? No, this forever home. Okay, have a great day. Mm -hmm. Hi, this is Forrest. I'm driving down your street and, I saw, and it's just a numbers game back to back to back. And I, I, I make that first week a whirlwind. Friday, it's over. They're exhausted. They have the weekend to think about it. Monday morning, maybe three out of the five people, maybe one out of the three people that I hired is going to come to me Monday morning and say, you know what, this just, this isn't for me. Yeah. Good. Good. That's awesome. I'm glad I weeded you out. Yeah. That's not what I say, but I say, listen, I wish you well. And I totally understand. Um, and the people that stick are the people that went home over the weekend, thought about it and said, yeah. I'm ready to go with this. I want this. Right. And they come in on Monday and they're ready to rock and roll. And I put them back on the dialer again. And um, um, typically with that kind of giddy up, I've got people that will close a deal within the first three weeks of working. So the first week is hardcore training. Second and third week. Second week's building pipeline. Third week, they're going to get a deal. By fourth week, everybody gets a deal. Um, on that methodology, but you're setting out, you're setting the, the pace, you're setting the tempo right off the bat with them so that they're aware that, hey, this place moves fast. Uh, this has got to be a cinder block on a gas pedal and it's a numbers game. So as long as I do the numbers, as long as I move quick, um, I should be making money. So that's kind of the, the kind of 10,000 view perspective on, on, on how we do some training. Awesome. Uh, Follow-up question by Marcos is, how are you adjusting your offers right now? So, yeah, um, it really comes down to offering solutions right now. Um, as far as uh, cash offers, um, so here's the deal. There's a lot of things going around on the online right now, um, and there's a lot of scare tactics talking about the market crashing. So who's privy to that information? Who follows the, that information? We do. Mm -hmm. Investors do. Flippers do. Wholesalers do. So there's a lot of fear in our industry right now. 
And because of that, and also because of the hedge funds and, and a lot of the lenders. So the way that the hedge funds do it, they, they arbitrage the best interest rates. They put their money into the stock market, uh, the, the, the money that they get in the fund, they put into the stock market, the stock market crashed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's been uh, the worst numbers in the last 50 years with the S&P and the Dow. Um, and um, that's made lenders and hedge funds dry up this year. And if they haven't stopped buying altogether, they're buying at really deep discounts. Right. And that's the funds. Then you've got the, the flippers and investors, they're scared shitless right now. Mm -hmm. So they are now buying at the 60, 65% range that wholesalers were buying at to be able to sell to them at the 75% range. So it's, it's and what, what is a wholesaler supposed to do? Offer 50%, 45%? people have a real disdain for those numbers. So it makes it increasingly difficult. Yep. So that's why I think in this market shift right now, getting into creative finance and offering more than just the, the yes or no. Here's my offer, do you like it, yes or no? No, have a great day. If you have different solutions, it takes you away from a yes or no and presents a which one. Mm -hmm. So you've got the cash offer, which really fits well if you're in a hurry or if your house is in disrepair and not ready to be listed. Right, that's the cash offer is going to work really well for you, um, and 100% of my customers that pick that solution are satisfied. Mm -hmm. The other option is we can go about creative terms and creative financing. I'm sure you, you know with with Pace and and Jamil and everybody talking about sub two. Um, and if you don't know about that, go check that out. It's going to be very valuable for you. Um, um, you know, you can offer terms. You can take over their mortgage payments. You can put yourself on title. You can give them some small monthly payments if you need to with a balloon at the end, or the new buyer comes in, refinances, and gives them that whole lump sum on the seller finance on the back end. Um, so that's another option. Yep. Um, I tell people, listen, you probably are talking to me because, well, let me ask you this. Have you talked to an agent yet? I don't ever ask somebody, why aren't you listed this? Because then they think, well, gosh, the way you just said that, why haven't I? Mm -hmm. Talk to you later, right? Yeah. So I say, have you talked to an agent? And they say, yeah, but I don't want to do that. I mean, I'm going to have to pay the commissions and fees. If they want, if they told me that I'm going to have to spend 20 grand on paint and new water heater. I don't have that. So I don't want to go the listing route. And it sounds really tedious. People coming by my house all the time, let them throw the listing under the, under the bus. Right. And you can say, I totally get that. I, I have another program. I do have another solution. And that's when you can start bringing out novations. Mm -hmm. um, so, don't just worry about just the cash offer. Don't be a one-trick pony. Don't just say take it or leave it, yes or no. Give them solutions. Give them options and say which one works best for you. And, you know, Sean Terry says this a lot. And recently we talked actually at that event with Vic. Uh, mm -hmm. I was talking with Sean and, um, you know, he gets everything out onto the MLS. Um, and that's uh, what I am preaching to everybody right now. Get that attorney of fact into your contract. Make sure you have an ovations clause in there. Call it whatever you need to call it. Um, and that way you can actually bypass these scared flippers, these scared investors, and go right to the end buyers. Yep. Um, by going to those end buyers, the end buyers, because we're in election year, the media is not talking about how the, the, the market is autocorrecting right now. It's just not talking about it. Everybody heard when the stock market crashed, everybody heard when crypto crashed, but that doesn't affect everybody. The housing market affects everybody. And right now the media is not talking about it, but they will come October. Uh, it's it's going to come out. But right now we so. have to educate these sellers. I think it'll come out in December after the election's over. You think so? Yeah, maybe. I mean, you got to protect our guy. I know. Um, so Stephen Colley wants to know, how would you split the profit right now between your team members uh, with your with your business as it is today? So it, I, I'm assuming you mean uh, how do I comp uh, yeah, acquisitions I members? Sure. Yeah. So... Um, you know, there's, there's so many ways to do this. Um, you know, you can have a base salary uh, plus commissions. You can have a draw 
against uh, against commissions. Um, I've done both those models. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have just a pure commission model. Um, typically, I like to start people off with a little bit of a cushion. So for the first three months, um, let's say you're giving them a $3,000 salary. And again, salaries are going to be contingent on the market that you're operating in. Um, you know, in, in Southern California, you can't pay somebody a $1,200 a month base. That, that's gone by Tuesday, you know. Um, so, but having that base and letting them keep it, you know, even if you're going to do a draw scenario, don't, don't draw against that for the first three months. Let them get their water wings and off and let them, let them, let them get going. But, um, you know, I've, I've worked models where you're at 6% and you move up to say 10% after the first year, and then you can move that up to 15 and even to 20, um, you know, giving them a tiered out structure where, uh, if another shop calls them and says, how much are you making right now? Well, I'm at 10%. Oh, I'll pay you 12. Come over here. Nah, I'm going to make 15 next year. So I'm going to stay. Right. right. Giving them that that step up is, is a good way to do it. Um, but whatever you're paying them on leads, if they're inbound leads, treat your inbound leads versus your outbound leads different. Uh, if they bring in a lead from a barbecue that they were at over the weekend or they went to an estate sale and, and they were able to get a deal out of that, um, comp them better on that um, because that's going to that's going to drive them to do more of those outbound deals that you never had to spend any money on. It didn't cost you a dime to get it. You got all that data for free. And now that enables you to have that extra marketing budget to go test new things. Right. And, um, and, and uh, yeah, so there's so many ways to do it. It comes down, you know, I, I pay people healthy commissions. Take care of your people, they'll take care of you. Um, but, uh, and, and give them bonuses and rewards. If they do something out of the norm and they do something that's really great, comp them for it. Right. You know, take care of them. Uh, but there's a lot of ways to do this, and I wish that I had a ironclad way to say only do it this way. But it's it's different for every every shop. I think it's different every shop. I think it's also different for every market, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. You were saying like Southern California, right? It's gonna be very different than if you're in Mississippi. Yes, hundred percent. Right? right. If you're doing two deals a month versus you're doing twenty deals a month. The the just just what it takes to live, say in Utah versus Southern California, it's an entirely different entirely different model, and you can get the same quality of people in say someplace like Utah. For fifteen hundred dollars a month, that you can, you can get for Southern California for three thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Same thing, like going with VAs and, and going that route. Um, you know, I can't get somebody on my sales floor that has a PhD here in in, in Arizona. Can't do it. No. But if I go to Egypt, I can get somebody who's got a PhD, mm-hmm. and that'll work with me. Yeah. Right. And, and it costs me a lot less. Yeah. So you know, it, it really does come down to your market. It comes down to how you want to work things. But there's no right way or wrong way to do it. Except the only wrong way I should say is is not taking care of your people. So you got to take care of everybody. Uh, question on uh, YouTube, Gary Yates. If you start over today, what are the first things you would do uh, on the budget to, I'm guessing, to scale back to where you are? Mm-hmm. Um, so I work with Green Elephant Development. Uh, I'm the director of sales and acquisitions for Green Elephant Elf- Development, Elf- which uh, is uh, Cody Sperber's company. Um, I work with uh, Brian Applis. Um, and these two guys I am so impressed with. Um, it's just unbelievable. Uh, and you know, that takes me back to, you know, being compensated well is one thing. Um, and, um, you know, I, I jokingly always tell anybody who wants to hire me, I tell them that they better have a pen with a lot of ink. Um, (laughs) but getting that out of the way, uh, some of the most important things for me is the knowledge and what you can learn as you grow with, with people. And I have learned more working with Cody and Bryant in the past two months that, than I think I have in my entire real estate career. And um, it's, it's pretty special. Mm-hmm. And um, coming back to the question of what would you do if you started over, um, I really have in the past couple of months in, in going in and working with Green Elephant. And um, they have graciously given me the steering wheel. 
and um, we're making a lot of model changes right now. And with those model changes, um, it's again, it's increasing marketing. It's increasing staff. It's the way you train staff. It's the way you onboard. Um, and um, it's, for me, it's not just the scripts, but you know, coming back to being a wordsmith, it's how you say things. It's not what you say. Mm -hmm. It's how you say it and how you set people up to, you know, uh, to, to go for the win. Um, so people ask me, how do you make so much money a month in marketing? We well, spend a lot of money in marketing. And the only way I was able to spend so much money in marketing in past gigs um, was from split testing and was from um, tripping and falling and figuring out, oh, there's the pothole there, stay away from that. That was yeah. very costly. You know, um, I've worked with shops where we're spending $90,000 a month on Snapchat and TikTok for three months to find out that that shit doesn't work. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you get some agents out of it and, you know, you learn how to do the floss dance. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it, you know, you, you learn cause you're able to test out and you're able to spend money and don't be afraid of spending money to learn because if you don't, how are you ever going to learn? And if you don't learn, how are you ever going to grow? Right. Yeah. You know? No, that's, that's, that's a, so what's it, um, like a paradox, right? Like, it's like, I, I, how do I know what to do next? Like, well, you got to test it. That's it. You, you maybe don't put your foot all the way in just kind of, you know, put a little bit of pressure. That's it. You, 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 you've got to test things out and that's how you learn what works and what doesn't work. And as soon as you know what works and doesn't work, you chew the fat, you double down on what's working and you can confidently dial it up and dial up your spending. You can go from 40,000 a month to 150,000 to 250 to three to four to five. Yep. And when you're spending that kind of money, again, marketing is our ask and you don't get what you don't ask for. So if you're asking a lot, you're going to get a lot. So you've done many different things. What is your why? Why, why, what keeps you going? What's my reason? Mm -hmm. My kids, my family. Yeah. Um, I have a picture of my kids uh, on my desk. I have a picture of my kids everywhere because I do a lot of phone calls. I do a lot of Zoom calls. You know, that's what we do. Mm -hmm. um, and I always have that picture right there. Just as I look away from you when I'm talking, every time I look away from a Zoom call, I know exactly where to place that picture because I know where my head goes. Yeah. And it just, it's a motivator for me. Um, I have a beautiful wife and beautiful kids and an amazing support system. I mean, hell, Steve, I'm out here in Phoenix for two weeks straight this month. I'll be out here three weeks total this month. I live in Southern California. And my family, um, you know, shout out to my boys, Nixon and Weston and um, my wife, Ashley, and they're very supportive. And, you know, they, they understand that, you know, daddy's coming home and daddy is, is, is providing. And having that support system and having that, um, it enables me to make sure that they are always my reason. But yeah, that's my motivator, 100%. What, what is your biggest struggle right now? Uh, bandwidth. It's always bandwidth for me. Um, I'm a cinder block on a gas pedal. I go fast. I talk fast. Um, I try to cram as much things as I possibly can into the day before mm -hmm. I quit to go play. And um, even when I'm playing, I'm working. You know, it's just nature of the beast. But um, my biggest struggle at all times is bandwidth. Um, you know, I, I need assistance. Mm -hmm. I, and I don't mean that I need people to help me. I need an assistant. Yeah. You know, I, I need multiple assistants. Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming you have some now. I do now. Yeah. I do now. And, you know, as I left uh, Tark by's houses, um, I had my head down when I was with Tark. And I had a lot of people contacting me all the time saying, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And um, um, I, my immediate response was, no, I'm just too busy with this. Mm -hmm. And when um, I left, I was I, I got even the word got out. I was a free agent and uh, I got bombarded. And um, I, I'm a yes man and I like to help people and I kind of bit off more than I could chew. 
and um, without having that that hundred percent infrastructure of my own in place, because it was literally overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I that's uh, I was I was that when we met it all in was sh- like a week after, two weeks after. And, you know, leaving Tarek by his house as my mother passed away right then. And so I had a big life kind of change and I kind of had to take a step back and take a look yeah. at everything and see what I wanted to do. And I wanted to help people. I wanted to help more people. I will say when I met you at, at, at All In, you looked like you were a little overwhelmed. Yeah. 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 And, and, it, and, and I have been. The past, you know, up until uh, July, I had to take some time off in July and kind of restructure everything. And now I've got assistance in place. And um, you know, people start seeing more social media posts. I've got PTSD on social media from being in the band back in the day. And, you know, I, uh, I'm not real good at doing it on my own. So thank goodness to people like Luigi Ritchie and Pat Hilton, um, for, for aiding me in that, that deficit that I have mentally on, on really applying myself to that, but delegating out. You know, I'll say there was something you said much earlier in the show, right? You said you're a procrastinator mm-hmm. and it doesn't make sense on the outside, right? How can someone that's a procrastinator get so much done? Yeah. Right. And I think you and I have the same struggle because I'm also naturally a procrastinator. Mm-hmm. And the way to fix this is to just to commit to a lot of things. <laughs> right. And have a lot of deadlines. And have a lot of things that you have to get under pressure, under fire right. to get done. Yeah. And so you just have all these deadlines. So because you have all these deadlines, then things will get done. Yeah. Because if it's just do one thing, then I have this like really far off deadline. Yeah. And then nothing gets done. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, and that's and that's really why I kind of had to take a step back, and, uh, you know, just this past month. And um, you know, I knew that we had this show coming up, and uh, I knew that that uh, Luigi and Pat were there to help me on social media, and uh, I got an assistant, and uh, I've got an amazing marketing team that mm-hmm. is with me since my marketing days. They helped me at Tarkby's houses in the in the shadows. Um, they help me now. Um, I put them to work every day, and we're we're working with a lot of people, a lot of investor lift people. Uh, they go to my site and they put themselves on the calendar and we do a consultation and then I connect them with my marketing team. And um, But uh, delegation is something that um, I am really headstrong on right now uh, because I, I have to be. I've got so much going on, but I love it. You yeah. know, so it's really August is 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 my month to really kind of double down and and uh, and 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 really have everything structured for myself. I do it for other companies. I've done it for my own companies. But this is my name. Right. This is my own personal brand. And um, having that set up properly and practicing what I preach um, is something that 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 it's, it's where I'm at. And that's my mindset now. Yeah. I'm also addicted to chaos. Yeah. Um, how do you measure success? Oh, boy. So many levels to measure success on. Um, it really comes down to what you find most important. Um, you know, you can look at finances as, as a success. You can look at how many shoes you own as a success watches, cars, houses. Um, but for me, it comes back to my reason. And for me, it's, it's making sure that I am buying and affording and financing experiences for my kids. Um, and I mean, we've gone on some amazing vacations this summer. Um, you know, we've hit every theme park that is created known to man. Um, I'm worn out. Um, and you know, it's, uh, it's those things that for me, um, enable me to look in the mirror and say, yeah, you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're doing it. You know, I mean, building portfolios and, and doing those things. And after I left, uh, uh, my previous gig, um, at Tark Buys Houses, I immediately went out and did a flip in Hermosa beach and bought a commercial building and, uh, got into selling some portfolios and, you know, you're selling portfolios. We've got $130 million portfolio we're kicking around right now. And like I said, big cookie, big crumbs. And, you know, people ask me, how do you do those numbers? 
Well, it you know you can do it off of one deal if you really need to. You know, it's yeah. it's just picking and choosing the right. I guess picking your battles, but success for me is being able to take care of the people that I love and um, and and growing their life um, because of what I'm able to afford to them by hard work and the chaos. <laughs> uh, what is your superpower? Um, I think most people will agree it's my gift of gab. Um, my superpower is being able to talk to folks and being able to string words together and, and, and painting mental pictures that everybody understands and, and um, um, being able to size people up pretty quickly. Um, that gives you an indicator on, on, on where to take the conversation and, and how to talk. But I'm a talker. I'm a sales guy. That's in my blood. It always has been. That's why I was an actor when I was a kid. Um, I even did stand up when I was a kid. Um, so stand being in, up as a kid. Uh, yeah, there was. Uh, yeah, it's a whole nother Jerry Springer episode, but um, oh, I was yeah. gonna say Star Search. No, no, no. But although I, I was asked a couple of times to go on that, and I, a few friends of mine when I was a kid went on Star Search. I don't even. They, that's gone. That's been oh, gone for a long gone, time. Yeah. yeah. So we're yeah. dating ourselves we're a little old. bit, but um, yeah. So it's uh, it's 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 an it's an interesting game, and staying busy for me is is the most important part. When I'm not busy, I get complacent, and complacency is a dangerous place to be. Yeah. What is the greatest lesson that you've learned? Um, delegating, delegating, not biting off more than I can chew. Um, and which that's the, my biggest struggle. And uh, as you said, we're, we're pretty aligned on that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, I have a lot of opportunity that comes my way. Um, I've been very fortunate in my life that that has always kind of been something that has followed me. My shadow has always had opportunity in it. Mm -hmm. And, um, um, now, especially, uh, in the past three, four or five months, um, opportunity is just abounding. And, um, you know, that movie with Jim Carrey, Yes Man, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there's a big part of me in that right now. And um, I do want to say yes to things and I do want to help people and I want to take on and help everybody because, again, you don't get a second chance. You know, the second chances are never guaranteed. Um, so the biggest thing for me is delegating and not biting off more than I can chew and making sure that if I do, I have the infrastructure there to support it. Um, and, uh, and it's been a fast growth on my personal brand over the past few months in getting everything aligned so that I can service people and so that I can take care of all these folks. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the, that's, that's really the bottom line. Uh, I wrote down nine questions to ask myself before I say yes to the next opportunity. Okay. So let's definitely talk about that later I, on. I, yeah, please share. I want to know. Um, what book have you gifted more than any other? Uh, what exactly to say or what to say, I think is what it's called. Um, it's, I have a whole library of, of audio books that I share out to every team. Mm -hmm. um, but that one is, uh, is one of my favorites. It's a, it's a quick listen or a quick read, depending on who you are. Um, I do a lot of driving. I do a lot of flying. So listening to things and uh, listening to books are, are really where um, I, I end up you know, living. But it's, uh, there's, they've got one for real estate. What to say uh, for real estate agents. Don't let the term real estate agents fool you. It really is just real estate in general. And um, it's only about two hours. You remove the glossary and the intro, and I think you've got about an hour and a half, 13, 13 chapters. They're all short and sweet, but they're all situational. Um, it's all talking about, I, I talked to this one guy, and he said this, and I did that. And um, it gives you all of these sales nuggets to say. One thing that stands out the most from uh, that book specifically, there's a lot, but one thing that I, I train on a lot is um, I use the word open-minded in pitches a lot. Are you open-minded to spending a couple more minutes with me on the phone? Are you open-minded to hearing an offer lower than what you just said? Um, 
In that book, uh, the author says, if you asked a room of 100 people if they consider themselves open-minded, 97% would raise their hand. Everybody wants to fancy themselves as being open-minded. So using that in your your mental ninja sales pitch, Mm -hmm. um, using neuro-linguistic programming, you, like me, are a very smart person, and your brain just remembered that you like me. Right. <laughs> um, so it's it's uh, it's it's introducing a lot of those things. Um, but uh, yeah, you're using a little crowbar, just kind of open, open it a little bit. I call it corralling cattle yeah. because, you know, you, you, you've got to set them up and you've got to take them down the path that you need them to be on. But it's also a delicate, uh, delicate dance because you need them to feel like it was their idea. Of course. You know, because mm-hmm. if it's their idea, then it's a great idea. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. it's- I have nothing but great ideas. Of course you don't. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned neurolinguistics programming. This has been one of my struggles. I love NLP, mm-hmm. and I've studied it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to find quality NLP, NLP books. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite NLP books? Oh, gosh, I don't even know. Um, uh, it's been so long since I was actually studying NLP mm-hmm. um, because it's very difficult to instill that into um, your sales team. Uh, a lot of it, it can be somewhat overwhelming. Um, so honestly, I don't necessarily have a good book uh, for that because it's been a long time since I've actually studied NLP um, because I, I practice it so much and I put it into my scripts mm-hmm. um, so that I don't necessarily have to train people on NLP. They just use it in the scripts. Right. It's um, in our language. Yeah. It's so it's it's yeah, I that's kind of how I talk, you know, yeah. so I use that in all my phraseology and all my scripts. And that way I don't have to train people on NLP because they're just they they no one reads scripts when they're on the phone. Right. <laughs> you read the scripts beforehand. You, you get the gist of it and then you use your own words, which, you know, work. But by dropping in those things into the script and making sure that they focus on those, um, you're able to get NLP into your pitch without having to train people right. on. Oh, yeah, I'm not trying to train program. other people in NLP. I'm just trying to become a better practitioner myself. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. All right, so I'm going to make a few quick announcements. I want you to think about something you want to leave the listeners with. Uh, Guys, if you have value today, please like, subscribe, share, comment. I mean, we just had Forrest talk about how he's done 500 transactions in the last 24 months. 81 people watching, only 32 likes. Guilt tripping you here. Um, (laughs) Also, we do have our live event. It's going to be next Thursday and Friday, day and a half, going over sales, our sales process, what we use to teach hundreds of the top players uh, across the country on sales. We have Par in the Disruption tomorrow. Eric Brewer, RJ Bates, Chris Jefferson. We're going to be debating. And then on Friday, we got Certainty Talks. And next week, we got my great friend, Stephanie Betters. Uh, she's the one that has the left main uh, Salesforce CRM. Uh, I'm going to hear what's going on now in her business. So, what are some last thoughts you would like to leave the listeners with? Don't let this current market change scare you. Don't let it give you analysis paralysis. Don't stop what you're doing. Keep doing exactly what you were doing, but you're going to have to come down on your cash offers a little bit. You're gonna to have to be a little bit more aggressive. And the only way to do that is to spend time on the phone, have long phone calls, educating these sellers on the current market correction. There's so much data out there, 9.1% inflation in June. That's everywhere. You can you can show that to people. Mm-hmm. You can talk about how how pricing uh, price drops have gone down uh, so dramatically over the last three months, as opposed to 2008. It took 13 months. We've seen bigger price drops in the last three months than in 2008. It took 13 months. Yeah. Um, you know, food index is up. Shelter is up. Uh, gas prices are through the roof, but wages aren't. Um, if anybody follows Zillow, tell your sellers follow Zillow. You're going to see price drop after price drop after price drop, and it's on the same house. Um, price drops are historic right now. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting dichotomy, but you have to educate your sellers. If you don't educate your sellers, when you come in with these low offers, they're not going to understand it. And yeah. being transparent, 
That's the other thing that's really big. You have to be transparent when you're talking to these folks. Let them know that you're in this for profit. You're not in this just to get them the best offer. It has to work for them and it has to work for you. And if you're, there's no way for you to make profit on this deal, then it's just not a good fit and that's okay. We right. can still be friends. But, um, and, and let them know, I may, I may end up bringing in another investor partner because I don't, I'm in Arizona and you're in Ohio. I can probably bring in another investor that'll have better labor costs uh, locally. So I may have another investor come by and look at your property. Don't have your dispo team reaching out to buy saying, hey, um, tell them you're with Mike, tell them you're a contractor. Yeah. Don't t ask people to lie for you. Be transparent from the get-go. Uh, make sure they understand you're in it for money. Make sure that they understand that you may assign the contract. Um, those are, the transparency is key. And, um, you know, when you're being transparent and you're being educational and you're giving out that knowledge and you're having long phone calls, um, they're going to trust in what you're saying. And when you offer them that lower offer, yeah, the best I could do is probably 580 oh my gosh, I don't know, could you maybe do 600? Would that still get you some profit? Totally different phone call. Now they're advocating for you to make sure that you make profit to take care of you because you're taking care of them. Right. So it just it just comes down to mindset, guys, and um, educating the sellers on the market, letting them know that where, where things are at. You can pull things from New York Times, CNN, Forbes, it's all out there. Yeah. Um, and cite those sources. Uh, how can someone get a hold of you? Um, easily. Just go to forestblackburn.com. There's two R's in forest. Blackburn, just like it sounds. Black like the color. Burn like you're burning something. Um, forestblackburn.com. You can throw yourself on my schedule um, for a consulting call. I'd love to hear from everybody, and I'd love to help everybody. Um, and uh, fill up my schedule. Uh, I have a course that's coming out uh, next month. Um, that I'm pretty excited about. Um, you can also, there's, it's under pre-order right now. It's 50% off uh, on the site, shameless plug. Um, but uh, pre-order that. It's going to be everything that we've talked about here times 20, yeah. times 100 maybe. Um, but we're wrapping that up right now. We're in post and um, I'm, I'm really excited about that. But, um, and then I'm doing... Um, Ricardo Rosales and Don Costa and I are doing uh, Systems of the Future in Houston, Texas on October 14th and 15th. Um, and uh, I think we have a link for that somewhere. Yeah. But um, yeah, go there so and there's some amazing perfect. pricing for that. I would love to have you guys out at that boot camp. We're going to be dropping a lot of knowledge, a lot of nuggets uh, on the systems of the future, ecosystem, culture, training, hiring, scripting, PPC and marketing and, and all of that. But um, yeah. if you need help with your marketing, if you need help with PPC or scripting or infrastructure, hit me up. Just go to the website. I'm available. Yeah, man. Don Costa, genius, right? Someone he's I've amazing. For a long time. He's Ricardo amazing. Was, Ricardo was always a great friend, right? We did, we just spoke together out at Attend Growth yeah. uh, in uh, in Houston with uh, Robert G. Allen, who's an amazing person, uh, seven time best New York Times bestseller. I've known Robert since I was 12 years old. His girlfriend was my his daughter was my first girlfriend. So it goes all the way back. It goes way way back. Yeah. All right. Thank you all for watching. Thank you. Appreciate it. Steve. It's been a pleasure. Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.